Hi, I'm Amy Blackthorne, and this is Blackthorne Grove. For those of you who are new to the podcast, blackthornsbotanicals.com has some great teas, ritual oils, magical candles, and more for the next bit. I know not everyone can get to the podcast right away. I'm going to put up a podcast-only coupon code code podcast all lowercase on blackthornsbotanicals.com for 20% off anything you find in the store try and help as best I can and and apparently Lilu agrees that's blackthornsbotanicals.com and offer code podcast all lowercase hey there Amy Blackthorn here you right now can download the first 30 pages of my next title, Blackthorn's Botanical Wellness, at amyblackthorn.com, along with the rest of my titles for free. Again, that's amyblackthorn.com to check out all of my books available for order now. Hello, and welcome to the Blackthorn Grove. My name is Amy Blackthorn, and this is a podcast where we meet with where witchcraft meets with good friends over tea to talk about the nature of magic and community. Today, my guest is the incredibly fabulous uh, Empress Jade Book, non-binary bisexual clergy member within the Assembly of the Sacred Wheel. Uh, If you've been anywhere on the East Coast, you've lately met some of the fabulous, fabulous humans that the Assembly has among their membership. Um, the acting high priest of Fellowship of the Ancient White Stag in DC. Empress has also been teaching Queering the Kabbalah class for seven years and has presented at the Sacred Space Conference, which is so much fun. I, I, I talk about conferences and all this stuff regularly, but I so rarely get to see people who have been at the same conferences and gone to the same events because there's so many, they're, they're scattered all over the country. So we don't get to like actually hang out outside of a lot of the conferences. So thank you so much for coming by. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I have asked them to update that bio, by the way. I've only been teaching Queering the Kabbalah for like three years, but <laughs> I've been teaching magic stuff for seven years. So somehow gotcha. those wires got crossed with my publicity <laughs> folks. And it's like, no, it's not exactly accurate. I got them to correct it on the book, but the press release still had the old information. So, oh, well. <laughs> like a Venn diagram of information. It's great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. So we got to chat. Yeah. My goodness, Thursday? Was it Thursday? It was Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. That's right. We got to chat on Wednesday and we had so much fun. I said, hey, why don't you come by the podcast and we'll get to chat and hang out some more. And Which I was like, oh, me- heck yeah. Because yeah, we had so much fun talking before and after. And it's like, oh, I get to talk to you more. Yes, please. That would be amazing. <laughs> I can make time for that. Yes, yes, please. And thank you. <laughs> so, oh my goodness. Uh, I'm so excited for this book. What is, what is your favorite thing about the process of writing uh, Queer Kabbalah? I think my favorite thing about writing it is that I managed to finish it. Uh, I, I was in English with a writing emphasis major in college 20 years ago, and, you know, we've always got that great American novel in us somewhere, and I struggled for years thinking, you know, I want to write a book, but there's nothing I'm passionate about enough or knowledgeable about enough to to write. And so yeah. it's always been that back burner dream. And when, you know, like many writers, when the pandemic hit, suddenly <laughs> I had more time to write. And so what I ended up doing was making a book packed 
with a very good friend of mine who also wanted to write a book at the same time. And I said, all right, here's how we're going to do this. Every week, each of us decides on a goal for the week that we're going to meet because um, it can be different books move at different speeds, whatever. Right. And then we come up with a reward for ourselves at the end of the week. But neither of us gets a reward unless we both do our goals. Nice. So that broke the chain of self-sabotage of just like you know well I don't need a reward this week so I'll just not get it done like we both stayed on task and I don't think we missed a single week even despite a lot of life life upheaval in the middle of that so I'm I'm really glad that that worked and that I actually got a book done because I I didn't think I could for many years so I'm excited that it exists and that a publisher wanted to publish it. I am so tickled. That is the realest thing I've probably ever heard because when I signed the contract for Botanical Magic, I was just shit-faced terrified. I'm like, somebody, somebody listened. Now what do I do? Because now they want me to do a thing and I don't know what, how to do that. Yeah. Uh, when I, the whole time I was writing the proposal, because I wrote the proposal before the book was done, mm -hmm. the entire time writing that proposal and editing that proposal, I just had this internal scream in my head the whole time being like, this is scary. This is scary. This is scary. This is scary. And I finally had to have a little talk with myself and compartmentalize and say, you can scream all you want. I'm going to get this done. And then we'll circle back up later and you can scream more. Uh, and I managed to get it done and sent it off and they liked it. So, so it was, a win and the screaming part of my brain didn't win but it was certainly loud oh that is absolutely the first probably four months of the contract I'm going ah! <laughs> just I have no idea what, to, what I'm doing why did why did anyone listen to me when I said I could do this and you know I it got to the point where I had to look at it like any of my other writing projects you know I've been writing an advice column for a witchy magazine I'm like this is just like that we're just I'm just going to do more outlines. I can remember my, my English professor saying like, look, if you outline correctly, it writes itself. Just keep outlining until you have a book. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. I can do that. Big mood. Yeah, I absolutely did that. And I had the fortune to start with this as a series of blog posts. So I already had 17,000 words written by the time I decided it was going to be a book. So that's a pretty good head start for yeah. what ended up being about a 55,000 word book. Uh, so yeah, it was just a matter of like, okay, I know what I want to say. And one of the nice things about Kabbalah is you don't have to think too hard about the outline because the outline kind of writes itself. It's like, there are 10 spheres. Each one gets a chapter and, uh, and then you have some intro stuff and then some stuff after that. So, uh, the outlining part really did help though. Cause instead of, I have to create something out of nothing, you see, I'm just filling in a gap. And that just makes it so much simpler and more straightforward. And my writing buddy said the same thing and was like, yeah, um, I was terrified of this until I actually outlined it. And then it's like, oh, I know what I'm doing now. <laughs> so yeah, that works. That's fantastic. When we put all this stuff together, people don't realize how much effort it takes. You know, we're sitting here and in my case, I'm in, in my office screaming at the four walls <laughs> for, you know, almost a year there's the, the process of the writing the proposal and then back and forth with the editing of the proposal. And then there's the writing of the book. But until we actually release it out into the world, it's just us in our own heads. Mm -hmm. And then <laughs> what helped you get out of your own head and actually continue the writing process once the initial shock had worn off? Hmm. I think having 
really little manageable weekly goals. Like, you know, what's the easiest way to eat an elephant one bite at a time? It, you know, instead of focusing on, I have to write how many thousands of words? It's like, I have to write 1500 words this week. That I can do. That's a couple hours, you know, and they don't even have to be good words. They just have to be words. I can go back and fix them later if they're bad words uh, or take them out entirely if they're swear words, apparently, which I really wanted to have more swear words in my book as we were talking about before we went live here. But, uh, you know, I, I bow to the wisdom of those who sell books. I've never had to sell books before. So I will say, okay, my editor knows what they're doing. Uh, but, but yeah, like having it, breaking it down into a lot smaller chunks made it a lot less intimidating because I've been writing blog posts for a while and it's like, I just have to write a lot of them that connect together and then it's a book. That is a really great way of looking at it because the average blog post is like, nine, like 900 words. And I'm like, okay, I can write, I can write 900 words today. That's just a blog post. It's fine. But yeah, once I, once you break it down into smaller, smaller bites, it's so much more reasonable and achievable than to say, oh yeah, so a hundred thousand words by the end of the year, because it seems like a mountain that's just going to poly all over and, and smother you. Yeah, I could definitely see myself doing like in college where I, you know, had all nighters writing, you know, 4000 words or something for an essay that was due the next day because college, um, there's nothing that caffeine can't achieve. And <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, I really I did not procrastinate. But the one thing that surprised me was how much more time I spent editing than writing. I, I think I thought the writing part was going to be the hard part. And I was very, very wrong. Um, the part where you just want, like, where it's hard to get out of your own head and you just want to die. is like, I've been looking at these same words for six weeks and <laughs> they're not good yet. And how do I make them good? Or they're not, they're wrong all of a sudden. They seemed good last week and now they're wrong. And now I need to fix them again. I, I did the mistake of like, okay, I'm going to read it all the way through and I'll fix things as I go. But what happened was I spent like two weeks rewriting the introduction and then I'm like, oh crap, I have all the rest of the book that I still need to edit because I kept <laughs> starting at the beginning and finding stuff and fixing as I go and then start at the beginning again. And yeah, that was like, that was punishing. I spent way more time on the introduction than the rest of the book, which is probably normal to an extent because you want to really sum up your thesis well and you want people to be invited into the book and they may not even read the introduction. Some people skip it entirely. So all which of that is wrong. Be wasted. That makes yeah, people who yeah. skip prologues. Like, what is wrong? <laughs> who hurt you? Yeah, well, you know, I will confess that I never read acknowledgments or the foreword for a book until very recently because I'm like, yeah, whatever. It, well, the acknowledgments I read because... I found out I was in one of them and very surprised. So now I'm like, oh, maybe I'm in other acknowledgements or I just want to see if there's someone I know I want to see, oh, who do they give props to? That's awesome. Like uh, sometimes it nudges you toward other authors that you might like and things like that. But yeah, four words, I was just like, that's what someone else thinks. I want to read what this author thinks. And now I'm like, actually, okay, I see the point of that now. And, and maybe the foreword has some really good stuff to set the stage for what I'm about to read, so. Yeah, Everyone's I, got their own style. Th that was actually the hardest part of any of the books. I hate writing the introduction because I always feel like if I write it before the book is written, I always wind up having to cut something for length and then I have to go, go back and make sure I, I, I take that out and put that in. And it's like, I, I could just wait until I'm done, right? 
yeah, it would just make our lives so much easier if we just stopped. Like I, they always say, write the introduction last. At least that's what they told me in my college courses. And I never listened because I'm kind of like, I need to get my head around what I'm writing before I write it. Yep. And I can do that in the introduction. But I think, yeah, it ended up wasting more time than it needed to. So but here we are, the book exists. And it has a really nice introduction. And if people come to a signing event and tell me they really like the introduction, I will be much mollified and happier to know that it was appreciated. <laughs> I'm actually really excited for this because I will admit my Kabbalah knowledge is very lacking. I can I can name probably three or four different ways to spell it, but <laughs> the essence <laughs> of what it is, not my job. <laughs> I can name probably five or six ways to spell it personally because, but only because I've been studying it for a decade. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a chronic thing among a lot of magical practitioners. And what brought me into Kabbalah is that uh, you mentioned I'm part of the Assembly of the Sacred mm -hmm. Wheel tradition. Uh, a lot of folks who go to pagan conferences have probably met Evo Dominguez Jr. or Michael Smith or, you know, Jim Dickinson, Jim Welch. Um, we have, you know, it's a tradition that's been around for 40 years, which is kind of a novelty within a lot of pagan communities. <laughs> uh, we've exceeded the average half-life by quite a while. But it was, you know, in our tradition, there's a lot of Kabbalah baked into our ritual structures, mm -hmm. baked into our castings, break, baked into, you know, our, our tools and our magical tech. And I, early on, read a book, uh, Ellen Cannon Reads The Witch's Kabbalah, yeah. as one of my sort of introduction to being a part of the assembly kind of books. And I was weirdly hooked on it early. I'm like, this this is really fascinating. And I kind of loved and hated it because it's really complicated, which makes it hard to learn, but it's complicated. So you can just keep studying it forever and never quite know it for sure, which as a chronic academic, I just really kind of glommed onto. But, but even within our tradition, a lot of people are like, you know, I know we do Kabbalah. I know I should know about Kabbalah, but it's so complicated. I don't like it. I just want to go in my garden and grow cool herbs and like, you know, do magic. And that's totally fine. Like Kabbalah is, does not have to be everyone's personal jam. But I sort of became a Kabbalah nerd despite myself, despite the fact that I was a gifted kid who became an impatient adult who I dislike things I can't do well right away you know because we learned oh well, I'm already good at this thing I don't really have to work at it and then oh no now I have to work at things how do I do that I never learned so you know for me it was really cool but I heard a lot of the reasons people didn't like studying Kabbalah and, and there's a lot of them and a lot of them are perfectly good reasons you know it either feels like putting too much formality around something that should be more instinctual or it feels just so structured it feels so patriarchal you know it doesn't have as intuitive a representation of the concepts of god and goddess if that's a big part of your spirituality like people just didn't really see themselves in Kabbalah mm -hmm. and I think I was fortunate in the fact that I really, really got into it and just started reading book after book after book and doing a bunch of, um, for my second degree project, I wrote uh, all eight of our rituals for my coven were a walk up the tree, starting in Malkuth, going to Keter. Uh, we did, it was 10 spheres, eight rituals. So I paired up a couple of them. <laughs> so <laughs> Netzach and Had got one together and Gabor and Hesed got one to get together. But um, for me, what was, surprising and what inspired the book was that I realized I could see myself in Kabbalah as a queer person 
And I didn't realize until that moment that I'd been struggling to see myself in my magic as a queer person because there's so many binaries and dualities, uh, especially within Wicca, which is, you know, the assembly is a syncretic Wiccan tradition. And there were just a lot of things I sort of took on rote, like, yes, of course, there's masculine, feminine energy. Yes, of course, these are two ways things interact. Um, I call it the IKEA assembly thing of magic. So it's like tab A into slot B, boom, you get magic. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, there's validity to these, but I didn't realize how alienated I felt trying to fit my tab A into that slot B of a concept. Uh, it just it was the wrong tab in the wrong slot. And, and when I started looking at Kabbalah and really looking at the tree of life, I thought, wow, this is actually really queer inclusive right out of the box. Like you don't even have to look at it that hard to find that. And then none of my books were talking about it. Now I haven't read every Kabbalah book that's ever been written. Um, kind of wish I had, but <laughs> you know, I have to eat and I have to have a job and you know, I can't spend all day every day reading Kabbalah books. But I was surprised because a lot of them, you know, come from, you know, in paganism, we have a lot of queer people around us. A lot of people start who are on the fringes of society or gravitate toward paganism for, for various reasons. So when I sort of put this together, and I'm not the first person to think of it, but I think a lot of us came independently to the same conclusion that Kabbalah is heckin' queer. I was just the first to put stuff online about it in an easy to find way and then to write a book about it. So I wanted to share that with people who may be struggling with magical systems that don't feel authentically queer. Which is absolutely a, a thing that's been uh, discussed as of late. And I really, I'm glad more people are comfortable and able to say, yes, I am a traditional witch. And yes, I am queer. Yes, I am neurodivergent. I am uh, non-binary. Everything that makes us who we are, we're finally allowed to say, yes, that's the case. Yes, this is true. Yes, this is who I am. Has writing the book changed your personal practice or informed your personal practice in a, in a meaningful way? Absolutely. I, you know, we, we learn best by teaching. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like the more you try to articulate a thing that you know, and the more you look at it and you're like, wait, is that really what I think? I can punch holes in this. Let me rework this and let me think, okay, a better way to, to phrase this and contemplate and kind of really get it at the core of what it is you do believe and how you practice and what's useful to practice. I, you know, I was using Kabbalah before I wrote the book, you know, I wrote all the rituals for my coven and things mm -hmm. like that. I was participating in Kabbalah rituals, but finding small ways to use it in day-to-day -day practice was not really a thing I was doing until I was working more closely on the blog and then the book where I'm like, okay, how would I do a ritual just around this one sphere? Or how would I do like a small working, not a whole ritual, but what could you do with just this one sphere in your magic? And that unlocked just so much for me when I started looking at it that way, because I'd been trying to ingest the tree as a whole for so long that I had maybe lost the power of the individual bits and pieces of it. So finding ways to work with the tree for either smaller workings or, you know, very specific workings was really amazing. And it's something I do a lot more now. I'm so excited that 
this is not just something that more people are getting the chance to understand and explore, but the availability of information that we have now versus even 20 years ago is so much better. <laughs> it's, just, it's really incredible to get the opportunity to not just read the books and read the works and written works of authors that we like, but to engage with them as people, which is so important as an author and as someone who has a podcast <laughs> that we get to understand and see authors as people, not just this person on a pedestal who exists in their own bubble, mm-hmm. but as real people. It's just, yeah, makes me so happy. I mean, it's been good and bad, right? Because for every, you know, oh my gosh, you and I have connected through this medium and this is amazing. But for every one of those, we've also got a JK Rowling out there yes. who is very quickly destroying the the joy of their own work for everybody by being a, a turfy pain in the ass. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You're not wrong. Yeah. 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 So it's like, it's had positives and negatives with the whole bringing authors down off their pedestals. Cause some people you find, wow, they're a really cool person and they struggle with the same crap I do. And for some, you're like, wow, they're a really horrible person. And I wish I didn't know that because <laughs> now it's I so don't hard. like the books anymore. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Um, I was going to go on a tirade about first versus third and fourth wave feminism, and that's not a thing for today. <laughs> oh, we, we, I'm minored in women's studies. We can absolutely have that conversation at some Love point. <laughs> so what drove you to create the Queer Kabbalah class that became part of the, the Queer Kabbalah book? Where did... Yeah, so I, um, where did that come from? So I'd been working on those that series of rituals for the year with my coven and the more I dug in the more I'm like huh I'm seeing a lot of really interesting things here and the first thing that really sparked my brain with an aha moment around queer Kabbalah was reading Rachel Pollock's book The Kabbalah Tree and in there she mentions kind of casually kind of offside and then like runs away from the point fairly soon after that each of the spheres has a Hebrew name and Hebrew names are gendered. They're either masculine or feminine. And she points out which of the ones on the tree are masculine and which are feminine. And when I looked at that, I was like, huh, well, that's interesting because there's also a masculine pillar and a feminine pillar. Mm -hmm. And the name gender didn't line up with the pillar gender in all cases. And then I'm like, but we also have this third pillar in the middle, this pillar of balance that's neither Mm -hmm. masculine nor feminine it's a completely different thing and I'm like wait okay so we're already saying gender isn't a binary just by having this third pillar and now we have really interestingly inconsistent ways gender is expressed on the tree so when I started digging deeper I'm like all right let me overlay that whole gender of the name gender of the pillar with let's look at the magical image for this thing and this these were created like by the golden dawn over a hundred years ago so it's like all right Now it gets more interesting because you have things like Netzach, which is a masculine name on a masculine pillar, and the magical image is a beautiful naked woman, and it's (laughs) aligned with Venus. So it's like, huh, well, that's interesting. And then more intriguingly, if we look at the magical image for Hod across from Netzach, the magical image is an intersex person. And it's like, wow, intersex magical representation from over a hundred years ago in a way that we don't even see on pop culture anymore at this point yet. That's pretty cool. And so I just started pulling on the thread and pulling on the thread. 
And I had some good conversations with uh, Evo Dominguez Jr. about it too, because he was also proctoring my work with the Kabbalah for my second degree. And I was like, am I off base with this? I'm seeing a lot of queer stuff. He's like, no, 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 you're not off base at all. Keep, keep going. And so I started writing blog posts about it. And then he said, you know, you really could turn this into a book. And I'm like, oh, I, I can't write a book. I've only been studying this for like a decade. He's been studying it for 40 years. You know, I'm like, who am I to write a Kabbalah book? He hasn't written one yet. Um, but he's like, no, no, no. I think I'm like, well, maybe in like five or 10 years. He's like, well, I, I think you could do that sooner. I was like, okay and then (laughs) and then it's like well my band isn't performing right now I have time let's see if he's right if I can write a book at this point and I did and even more stunningly Llewellyn said they wanted to publish it so (laughs) here we are today that's fantastic uh do you have a a follow-up work or connected work are you working on something slightly different are you just enjoying the ride of where you are currently a little of all of those things. So I do have in my heart uh, what I would love to call Queer Kabbalah 2 Electric Boogaloo, but it will not be called that when it's published because that would be funny to me and five other people and nobody would buy the book because they wouldn't know what it was about. Um, But yeah, I definitely have a follow-up work in mind specifically on Queer Kabbalah, uh, but I also am toying with some other potential next book ideas. I've been talking with my editor because they liked working with me. They would like me to write more books, which is wonderful. And figuring out what's the right next book is is currently the the quandary. And so there's stuff cooking and I definitely am doing, you know, a lot of podcasts and speaking circuit and all of that. I am a uh, an international virtual guest at the Goddess Conference in Glastonbury, England later this month, uh, which at first I was like the goddess conference about the goddess wants my non-binary self to be what what's going on here and I did some digging because I'm like hmm, you know the UK isn't known for being extremely trans accepting right now unfortunately and I was like hmm what's going on here but then I read that this conference has actually lost a lot of speakers and participants because they're so adamantly pro-trans, pro-non-binary. And they really are making an effort to bring in more trans and non-binary presenters. So I was like, oh, all right, well, if that's the case, absolutely. I'd be happy to talk about how I found the non-binary divine, which is what my my workshop's about that they'll be showing to everybody on the screens there. And I think it will also be available online. It's a 20 minute talk. So uh, doing that I'm going to be at convocation and sacred space between the worlds next year and and in the middle of moving right now so (laughs) all all writing projects are kind of on a short hiatus while I get my life together but but yeah there's I'm really enjoying the whole book launch process even though that part of my brain is screaming again a little bit uh because like talking to people about a book they're all seeing it it's what did the author call it the mortifying ordeal of being known it's, it was a New York Times piece, and I forget the name of the person who said it, but in order to allow ourselves to be loved, we must submit ourselves to the mortifying ordeal of being known and just, well, real. So real. <laughs> so I'm kind of like, oh my God, my parents might read this. And I wrote stuff about, you know, being queer that I haven't talked to them about. So this will be interesting, but we haven't had any conversations about it yet. So I'm not sure if they've read it yet. <laughs> it will be interesting to see. Um, my, my, I have gone no contact with my mother um, and my, my father was, gosh, it's been 20 years since I've even seen his face. Uh, 
it's very interesting because I told them I was writing botanical magic when I signed the contract, but it was right after that that we we stopped speaking. So it's like, I wonder if they know how many books I've written now. <laughs> you know, there's always <laughs> going to be that piece. It's like, uh, does my parent approve? Yay or nay? And it's, I'll be interested to see how that goes for you. <laughs> well, I found out my dad is kind of my my uh, what do you call it unofficial marketing arm in the Orlando area because apparently he's just been walking into stores and telling people they should carry my book and uh, <laughs> which is really kind um, and also I think his uh, church community is really excited about it as well because there are people doing Kabbalah work at his uh, at the unity church he goes to so it's like love it right on hopefully people will get a lot out of it we'll see fingers crossed yeah, um, they've been very supportive about the book, which is great. I think it's not necessarily a subject they're super into, but, mm -hmm. you know, they've been very excited to see me publish a book after, you know, that hard-earned degree in English with a writing emphasis where I was supposed to be writing this whole time, and mostly <laughs> I've been writing stuff for other people. So it's nice to, they're happy to see me write something for myself and get it published. That's beautiful. Has writing the book changed your daily practice not just your your worldview uh, but the things that you on a regular basis are able to practice at home by yourself not necessarily for your coven hmm i mean i definitely have a really a decent daily practice that has evolved over time kabbalah is part of it but it's sort of a it's not a part of it every single day for all time. Right now I'm doing a small Kabbalah working as part of my morning practice, mm -hmm. but um, not substantially, no. Actually what did change my daily practice for the better was taking a class on cultivating a daily practice from Irene Glass, who is just the best. absolutely fantastic human. Yeah, and her daily practice class is phenomenal. Um, we were able to have her come as a guest speaker for my coven and do like open, the class to the public and everything and her advice on like starting really small with the thing you know you can do every day and having like an optional menu of things you can add to that was absolutely what I needed so she's like every day I light a stick of incense that's the one thing I do every single day no matter where I am no matter what I'm doing uh for me that one thing started as a um a brief meditation of a daily self-blessing that i wrote about basically giving thanks to all my parts and kind of charging them with a thing to do like i give thanks to my heart for endowing me with compassion i bless myself with the capacity to hold space for those in need including myself like that's one part of it that i do every day and just showing appreciation and saying nice things to myself as the first thing I do in the morning is really kind of a good way to start the day. It's so much better than immediately looking at Twitter. I definitely recommend. Self-blessing <laughs> 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 as a, and that was also an idea I got from Irene because she, in her Black Feather Mystery School, which plug that is her book, which is fantastic and it just came out and you did the forward for it. So you know very well. Um, but in that book, she, that's the first thing you learn to do is bless yourself. You create a blessing oil and you bless yourself as part of your daily practice. And I think that's that's been a really fundamental shift in my approach to magic is starting and really valuing the daily practice, not just because I do it every day, but because of what it does for me. That's beautiful. 
what has been the biggest challenge doing the promotion aspect of having written the book? COVID. <laughs> Honestly. Honestly. Um, <laughs> yeah, like there's, if we didn't have a pandemic, which was still on, is still ongoing, despite how a lot of people want to treat it, <laughs> I would probably be flying to the West Coast to do several stops there. I would probably be going back to Minnesota right now to do a stop there that was what I wanted to do right away. But unfortunately, I'm just not that comfortable getting on a plane. I've had to do it a few times since the pandemic, but I had to get on a plane the day they repealed the mask mandate. Oh, <laughs> and it was, that was fun. Day. It was a transatlantic flight for work. Oh, oh no. <laughs> so, um, you know, I survived. I did not get COVID. I kept my N95 on the entire time. But, you know, it's not, I don't want to do it casually, you know, I, it's still yes. like kind of four things I just absolutely have to do. Um, and the nice thing about books is it's not like a movie where it's out for two weeks and everyone spoiled it for you, especially if it's, you know, a nonfiction book, there's not really anything to spoil. Uh, so I imagine I could do all this next year too, and it will still be considered a new book. Uh, yeah. And you know, that's a thing I can do in the future, but I am doing a few kind of localish things. I had a launch party at the Crystal Fox in Laurel, Maryland, which was fantastic. Um, I just this weekend signed in uh, at Finding Avalon in Camden, Delaware, which was absolutely fantastic. And I loved going to that store because I'd never been before. <laughs> and that is just a really nice store. And the people there are fantastic. So yes. that was and they are great. so and lovely. It's just like, you yeah. like walking into your best friend's house you, you walk in and everybody's like oh hey no worries you know so hospitable <laughs> yeah I felt bad because I left like with an extra half hour cushion to get there and then there's a 45 minute backup on the Bay Bridge so I was like well <laughs> all my best efforts to get there ahead of time have failed so I ended up being 10 minutes late and I was very embarrassed because I'm very punctual like I really commit to like not wasting my or anyone else's time and always want to be there early but um but they were very gracious about it even though I came in they're like you must be Memphis I'm like yes where is your bathroom <laughs> like, immediately I had just been in a car for two and a half hours so so yeah, uh, I had to kind of dash in and then I was like, okay, how do I set everything up? How am I doing this? How am I doing this? <laughs> but, but they were very cool and they had some wonderful people stop by and I got to talk to some really cool like trans young people who were like just, you know, 18-ish and, you know, working on figuring things out and were curious about the book. And those are the conversations I hold so close to my heart is the ability to talk to people who are figuring all of this out at a much younger age than I did. It's so beautiful. I had a similar experience when Sacred Smoke was released. Um, we did not realize slash grok that we had scheduled, the book release was uh, Memorial Day weekend. So oh. I, live, I live an hour north of the shop. So I, I got mm -hmm. on the road and I was just leaving the house. I was already an hour and a half behind because of the traffic. So these no. poor folks were sitting there waiting for me and I'm like, if I could operate to the to the bookstore, I would be there by now. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> Jesse was amazing. He was like, "Look, we we can't help the traffic. We you know we can just make people as comfortable and help them enjoy it as much as they can because everybody understands that traffic is a thing. I just again, I don't want to waste anybody's time. Yeah, 
I was doing all the prayers to Hermes I could muster on the way over, like, come on, come on, just clear <laughs> off the Bay Bridge, just clear it off. But, you know, it was fine. At some points, it said I was going to be 40 minutes late, so 10 is not that bad. <laughs> but yeah, they were, they were super gracious about it, and there were, you know, several people waiting to see me there. They did a really pretty um, whiteboard art promoting the signing where they did like a whiteboard art version of the tree on the cover of my book, which is so beautiful. Uh, Shira Ataku, Tapu, I think is how it's pronounced, uh, the designer of that just knocked it out of the park. I absolutely love the cover art so much. Um, but yeah, they had drawn, that, drawn the little tree up there and they had like, hey, this book is coming here. This is when it is. I'm like, oh, so sweet. So yeah, I would go there again in a heartbeat. They were great. Love it. And it's, it's, not only is it beautiful, but it draws you in in a way that's quiet and warm and welcoming. And it's a very nicely curated collection too. Like it's not the quantity that some people may have in their witch shops, but it is organized very nicely and really showcases stuff. So you don't feel overwhelmed by looking at everything. Yeah. And it's uh, a house from the 1700s. Um, for those of you who have not yet attended. So it's very easy to theoretically become overwhelmed with the amount of stuff that's in one room. So if you if you get to visit, I would definitely recommend starting in one room and just move around the entire room before you step into the next space and are overwhelmed all over again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's just a beautiful store. I ended up having to control myself to only spend $70 on things I wanted to buy <laughs> before I left. And one of those things was your protection magic book because I've been reading the Kindle version and I'm like, I'm going to want to go back to this and make notes in the margins because I can see myself referring to it and for books I go back to a lot I like to have a hard copy which is most of the witch books I read I like to have a hard copy so um so I got their last copy I asked them and they said oh someone just bought the last copy but then apparently the person put it back on the shelf in the wrong place he's like it's yours now you can have <laughs> but yeah um I'm also really excited I'm doing a really cool uh, joint signing event up at the Robin's Nest in oh, Massachusetts nice. with Laura Tempest-Zakroff and Misha Magdalene. The three of us are going to do like a mega signing event on uh, August 20th. And oh, while I'm up amazing. there, I'm going to be part of the, um, which there's a witch's market thing that Laura Tempest-Zakroff uh, runs. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be part of that on a Friday night. And there's another store I'll probably do a, a small workshop and a signing at as well. Um, but that's still being arranged. So I won't say where. So uh so yeah, it should be fun. It'll be, yeah, the weekend of August 20th, I will be up in the Massachusetts, Rhode Island area. Fantastic. It's such a great space, especially that time of year. Everybody's, yeah, everyone below Massachusetts is just hot and miserable. And it's like, oh yes, <laughs> there is some some air here that is cooler. <laughs> Always make sure yeah. I have like a jacket because it's so perfect because it's nice and warm during the day, but it's just chilly enough that you can appreciate being cool. Mm -hmm. What is the, it's the, thing from Mean Girls they always reference or no which which movie was it yes Miss Congeniality or what's your ideal date well <laughs> August 20th because you just need like a light jacket um yeah that kind of weather I'm really stoked too because uh Misha and I became online friends pre-pandemic I was out visiting one of our mutual friends uh in Seattle mm -hmm. back in August of 2019 and as I was getting on the train to go from Seattle to Portland, the friend I had been staying with in Seattle messaged me and said, hey, I know you're working on like 
queering magic stuff and doing mm -hmm. queer like magic workshop and things like that you should meet my friend uh Misha Magdalene here like I want to connect you to because I think you'd have a lot to talk about and indeed we did because I was at the time working on a, a generic like how to queer your practice workshop for mm -hmm. uh Frederick Pagan Pride Day here in Maryland and so I was like can I interview you would that be cool and Misha was super gracious like absolutely you can and also sent me an advanced copy of the book and of Outside the Charm Circle which ended up being really foundational for the work I did in my book so we have now known each other and been close like communicating like we we message all the time you know we've had some wonderful zooms and have never been in person at the same time like I've never met them in person so I'm super excited to get to hang out with Misha and uh Laura Tempest-Zakroff who I got to hang out with at Paganicon in Minneapolis this year and that was pretty fantastic too so yay it'll be fun that sounds amazing I yeah. Minnesota is one of the places I haven't been yet and I have um some people that are in the area so it's like two birds one stone I get to visit and I get to promote and everybody wins <laughs> so the cruel thing about Paganicon for me is that I grew up in Minnesota I spent 25 years in Minnesota I had <laughs> no idea that it was casually called Paganistan because there's so many pagans there no idea I was raised Catholic I had like the token like college girlfriend who introduced me to Wicca like the very you know standard story but like that was my entire experience with paganism in Minnesota and then I came out to Maryland and suddenly people are like oh you've got to go to Minnesota like you've got to I'm like I was just there Where was <laughs> the whole time God. the whole time I could have had a community and all this <laughs> like you know I had my copy of Silver Raven Wolf's Teen Witch and like I think I had one other witch book and I kept them buried in my desk where my mom couldn't find them hopefully and uh and then I just sort of dropped it when I broke up with that girlfriend and it's like I kept going with this and saved myself a lot of angst for like a decade of searching and trying to figure out what to do <laughs> but anyway it was really cool to go back there um you know I had family I needed to see as well so it, it worked out well but yeah Paganicon is a really well-run conference I was pretty impressed um the one thing I was a little disappointed with is that um the COVID practices like they everyone was really good about masking in sessions but as soon as like the ball happens they do a big masquerade ball yeah not really any masks around at all mm -hmm. uh and that made me a bit uncomfortable because there's like 500 people in a relatively small area for the ball so i mean it's like an 800 person con um and i was just like oh, people there's still a pandemic it doesn't stop existing just because you're in a costume <laughs> <laughs> sorry so so i was a little uncomfortable with that but but the selection of classes were really impressive and the people running it were incredibly hospitable and and the people I met there were fantastic I really it was a great hotel like it, check 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 it is a really great con for me my main frame of reference was sacred space uh which I've been to several times and this was like that times five mm -hmm. so it's about five times as large and has you know a commensurate number of you know sessions but also they have these hospitality suites which is kind of like my favorite sci-fi convention back there called convergence where they had um a room that was nothing or a floor that was nothing but party rooms and yeah. people would like take the furniture out of the hotel room put up fake walls and like make it so you're in a completely different space like 
the bridge of the enterprise convincingly or uh you know the tardis or something like they would do these huge elaborate things and you could just party hop all night long to these really cool parties so they had kind of the same deal at Paganicon, which i thought was fantastic and you got to like llewellyn had a hospitality suite you could hang out with there were authors there and people who worked at llewellyn you could flip through all the new books coming out uh, a lot of local organizations had hospitality suites for people looking to join groups um and there was usually food and beverage available in all of them for free so that's that was really nice and i wish more conventions did that yeah i really that that was one of the aspects of pantheacon that i really loved the most mm. was getting to not just experience and see other people meet other people but get to experience these groups in their own habitat you yeah know, this this tradition or this coven would have their own hospitality suite and you get to come in and check them out and make friends and you know, some of them had parties that went most of the evening. It's yeah, really well done because it's not just about the, you know, being able to say hi, I, I met so and so, but actually connecting with real people instead of getting that, you know, five thousand yard view of who someone is from reading a book. And there's this very interesting phenomenon that we experience as authors, but is is understood more widely. But when we read someone's book and we read their their very personal experiences, we feel like we know that person. And it's mm. it's part of the understanding that we have, but it's very limiting. So getting to the go to those hospitality suites and meeting people who they are and getting to see, yes, absolutely, the books that are coming out in the next season. But yeah, you make friends that hopefully last a lifetime. And that's really beautiful and and impactful for at least my practice um getting to go out and see a number of folks meet talk chat i swear matt Oren and myself and uh one of the sales associates from wiser spent we we chatted in the hospitality suite till probably three in the morning their time <laughs> which meant it was six our time yeah we had a group that were hanging out at basically once people were done like listening to the bands at the ball uh there are a group of folks from Llewellyn and various authors who just kind of commandeered an area of the fireside lounge at Paganicon I was told it went till after four in the morning I tapped out about 12 30 because I had a 10 a.m workshop the next day I had to leave so I was like all right I gotta go get rest but this is so fun <laughs> so nice and yeah it was a great time I, I shared, I was able to offload my small bottle of uh, 1800 tequila that I had gotten for the con. Uh, I was just like, I cannot drink this whole thing in three days, thank goodness. But like, and it was a small bottle, but I'm like, yeah, let me share this with everyone. And if someone wants to take it home, that'll save me having to put it in my checked luggage and risk ruining my clothes. So that worked Absolutely. out rather nicely. I'm like the only tequila drinker usually at these things. Like I it's usually everyone wants to have you know wine and i'm like wine does not like my body at all anymore it just it's it way like oh gosh it gives me panic attacks and oh, no. also just like i get disproportionately bad hangovers from like a single glass of wine or a single beer um like i just feel awful for like 12 hours and it's like that is not worth it at all so but for some reason tequila despite everything about my heritage which would not indicate i grew up anywhere where there was tequila to be had um <laughs> is very friendly to my system as long as it's decent quality stuff so that's yeah my weird little drinking fact <laughs> yeah i i do appreciate some don julio mm, yeah 
I tend to go for 1800 or Patron, but like I haven't tried all of the, the high-end tequilas yet. I think I've had Don Julio at least once though. It's, it's fabulous. I really enjoyed it. My, one of the jobs that I had in my varied career was the personal bodyguard to the CFO of a $30 million company. Mm. And he really enjoyed travel and, you know, this, this grandiose lifestyle that he had in his head. But that meant that when I was off duty, there were, there were treats to be had, like really <laughs> expensive tequila. <laughs> nice. When I, I had a great time at, um, back at the Convergence, the sci-fi con that I loved, a friend of mine had a cosplay and needed assistance getting zipped up because he was staying in a room by himself. He's like, this is awkward, but like, could you come around this time and just zip up the back of my costume because I can't do it myself? I was like, sure, no problem. So like a friend and I went, I zipped up his costume and he's like, would you like some whiskey? And I'm like, absolutely, I would like some whiskey. That's another liquor I can usually deal with. And he's like, okay, so he pulls this thing out of a wooden box. And I'm like, oh, oh, this is whiskey. This is not just like what I have in my flat. I think I had a Woodford Reserve in my flask for the weekend. Like, no, this is fancy and poured, you know, a glass that my friend and I shared. I took one sip. And I'm like, holy shit, that's good. I was like, what is this? He's like, it's called Middleton Very Rare. And I'm like, okay, out of curiosity, what does a bottle of this run? He's like, it's about $150. I'm like, why are you sharing it with me? <laughs> like, this is liquid gold here. Um, and there is, if you've ever been, there's this fantastic whiskey bar in D.C., uh, that's, I can't remember what it's called, a Jack Rose Saloon. I think it's in Adams Morgan. And they have thousands of whiskeys mm. and you can try some really incredible stuff. Uh, it's where I got to try, Yam I think it was Yamazaki 12. It's mm. a Japanese whiskey I love, but yeah, it's uh, good stuff. <laughs> so yeah, that was my, when he, when I was ruined for whiskey was that very moment. <laughs> I used to- More than $40 and it's worth it. <laughs> I was um, one of the bouncers at a whiskey bar in Philadelphia that was hosting a Doctor Who burlesque troupe. And awesome. I don't think there I've ever said a more Amy sentence in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I My band has performed at various, I think, were we part of, a lot of nerdlesque events uh, we have been the musical entertainment for. So... Yeah, <laughs> that is definitely part of the things that I have done as well. <laughs> I love burlesque. Actually, one of the great things about the pandemic was getting to see online burlesque shows and not have to leave my apartment and not having to get home really late. And that was kind of fantastic. There's a group out of Toronto who I don't think I'd ever get to see, but they were fantastic. And they did these really fantastic shows where each person like just shot their own video with like multiple costume changes and set changes and things you couldn't do on a stage and uh they did a really nice job so that's fantastic that. i love it <laughs> and i always i always find the best new music for my collection at burlesque shows oh my goodness yes <laughs> yeah i i have been moved to tears by a burlesque um there was one that was the uh, Joss Whedon. It was Whedon-esque, I think mm -hmm. it was called. So it was like all things Joss Whedon, which at the time included included Avengers and like just people doing characters from Buffy and Angel and like the various things he's done. So uh, Rebecca Rose Vassi, who is amazing, did <laughs> a... Whole face. I, yeah, I know. Uh, her, I can't remember who her partner was, but they did a 
Willow and Tara thing from Buffy to um, Take Me to Church was the song. And I've seen how it amazing twice, it was. And I cried both times. <laughs> like that is burlesque can make you cry if it's real good. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, she's That's a wonderful right. human. Love her. Oh, yeah. Like her so much. Um, she was a guest um, at the um, Trans Witchcraft School where I attended. Um, um, some of the people that we have in common have also attended. And so I just like, you are the fabulous human and I really appreciate your time and attention. And I would like to be Facebook friends. She's like, hey, like, absolutely. That is a thing that can happen. It's really impressive. You and I have not like really met before this point because the Venn diagram of our various social circles is basically a circle. A circle. <laughs> <laughs> it's a circle. You know, we hang out with the same people. We have very similar taste in good humans, which is great. And yeah, I'm so excited we finally got to chat, uh, you know, last week and this week. It's been absolutely wonderful. One of my dear friends is having a housewarming in Frederick. So I'm like, maybe I can parlay this into a visit with Memphis when they're, yes. when they're at the new place. Yes. Let me know. Yes. Be fantastic. That would be great. I'll Always be let me know if you're in Maryland. And uh, yeah, we can possibly share good tequila. I am 300 and... feet from the Maryland line, which is ridiculous. I could throw a rock out my front door and hit Maryland. <laughs> That's a good throw. If you can throw a rock 300 feet, I'm impressed. <laughs> well, I am eight feet tall and the muscles do match. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> She-Hulk, right. It's nice to meet you again. <laughs> yeah, so it's like 300 feet to Maryland. It's maybe two miles to the PA line. And it's 13 miles to the New Jersey line. Like, it's just a perfect little spot. You're here. in a little corner. Little corner. Yeah. Where I grew up, it was like an hour drive in either direction would take you into a different state, which was kind of interesting because Minnesota is not a small state. But I was in the yeah. southeast corner. So I was like an hour from Wisconsin, an hour from Iowa, and six hours to Chicago, the nearest big city. But other than Minneapolis, like Minneapolis almost didn't count because it was too easy to get to. So it's like gotcha. if you wanted to go to a big city that the good concerts came to that was six hours away but i i do take being this close to the maryland dc venues very for granted at, at times especially pre-pandemic you know if anybody came to town i i knew i could get there because i'm an hour from philly an hour from baltimore you know nice. two hours from new york you know it's anybody was coming and i could be there ostensibly within a couple hours amazing that would be great i i have gotten to take some advantage uh of like finally being in a state where the cool concerts actually come but um i am still a little hesitant with the pandemic of going yes. to large events that are not necessarily things that will help my book sell for example like i can sort of i can make an excuse for that but like i really wanted to go see the regrets performed in dc like i think a month or two ago and i really wanted to go but i'm like no i'm just not there yet but yeah and i think I'm on um very odd cancer drugs for a autoimmune disorder and mm -hmm. so i have no immune system so i was supposed to be at um mystic south this weekend and my doctor's like look you know i appreciate how much this how important this is to you that it's that it's work and it's not just it's not frivolous, but you really can't afford to go. Like this isn't, this is serious. Sad yeah. things. And I just wish like, it wouldn't have to be so bad if just everyone would keep wearing a mask. <laughs> like if we could just keep that up. 
mm-hmm. it feels like we'd make such a better dent on this but because people were like woohoo mass off and it's like oh no but that's doesn't help we're not uh that's not how vaccines not work it's like even if you're vaccinated you can still get it you can still pass it on like let's try and yeah but people are impatient yes and here we are and you and i get to be hermits <laughs> because of it i tell you what a zoom having zoom be a thing has been one of the best parts of figuring out things due to the pandemic because you know like lots of industries have used them for work meetings but mm-hmm. being able to have access to other humans outside of my house has kept my sanity yeah and one of the things i really love about it is that so many groups adapted doing rituals online and things mm-hmm. and making them more accessible to people who can't be with a group or can't leave their house or have childcare issues or any of those things. We had people participating in our, because my coven generally keeps our rituals open to the public. Mm-hmm. And so we had people joining us from Chicago, from LA, from San Francisco, um, people who would never be able to come to our rituals otherwise and may not have a local group that they really vibe with. And that was really cool. Um, we have shifted to in-person only, coven only rituals for this year, but our classes are still going to be open to the public and only on Zoom um, because we wanna make sure we're still providing resources for folks. Uh, if there were a better way to do an in-person and online ritual simultaneously, I would love to keep doing that. But the problem is that technology doesn't work well in ritual circles. No. It is very and tiny. having to, it's also a split attention issue. It's hard to focus on what you're doing if you have to also manage the technology at the same yes. time. So um, that is that is unfortunate. But I do love that we have that tool in our tool belt now because this is probably not the last pandemic we're going to go through. And now we know we have the tools at the ready when things keep happening. So that's both good and bad because we don't want things to keep happening and keeping us apart but good that we know how to keep in contact what's really saved my sanity honestly is there's an app called marco polo do you know this one i don't yeah uh so it's video voicemail uh, is the short version it's like you leave a video message for a friend and they can watch it whenever they have time it's like oh you have a video message so i have friends that i check in with like every single day and just like hey here's how i'm doing today or or, here's a neat thing i'm doing that i can show you uh my parents use it too so for them uh, i don't have an iphone i am not one of the blessed elite i have an android but uh so i can't facetime with my parents but i can like send them a marco polo and be like hey you know this is how this thing is that i'm at or here is you know a project i'm working on or whatever and because it's in your own time mm-hmm. i think that's just one of the great like i'm not demanding someone right now I want to video with you, you know, it's just like, yeah, you know, whenever you have a chance, you can read this or watch this. It's not super important. Um, And my coven has a group chat on it. And that has been vital for us because we brought three new members in shortly after everything locked down and we stopped doing in-person ritual. So those people didn't have a lot of chance to get to know everyone in the coven so this is how not only have we gotten to know each other but we've been able to support each other better than pre-pandemic and we're still using it because you know our lives are all busy and sometimes you have time to share with someone and sometimes you don't and sometimes you have time to watch and sometimes you don't so we have a rule nothing vital goes in polo if you need if it's time sensitive if it's important you put it in email or a text but like if you're just 
checking in, saying here, how are you doing? Uh, Polo has been fantastic for that. And it's free. Uh, they have like a premium model, but it's pretty affordable. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really nice to be able to see people's expressions while they're talking to you, I think adds a lot to the communication. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic. It's a great tool. I'm totally going to write that down. Yeah, Marco Polo. And the people who own it seem like absolutely not assholes. They do not sell your data in any way. Um, and the nice thing, too, is that it doesn't store the videos on your phone. They're all stored in the cloud, so it doesn't like weigh your phone down with huge video files. You can download any that you want, and they will completely erase everything if you want. Um, so it's, but it's pretty secure. And yeah, I've been pleased with it. As a security professional, you may have a different evaluation because I am not a security <laughs> professional, but <laughs> yeah. I absolutely appreciate you making time to stop by and, and say hi to everybody here. How can um, our listeners find you to support you? Well, turn right at the, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> practice, practice, practice gets Carnegie Hall. No, um, they can find me on most places as Major Arquirna, which mm -hmm. is Major M, oh, sorry, how do I spell? M-A-J-O-R-A-R-Q-U-E-E-R-N-A. -E -E uh, I am majorarquirna.com is my website, uh, at Major Arquirna on Twitter and Instagram, and Major Arquirna on Facebook is where I have everything related to book stuff. If they want to see pictures of my cat and things like that and things I'm baking, they can follow me at Enfisbook on Twitter or Instagram. This is this baking needs to be a thing. It's gotten to the point where I thought like, oh, okay, nope. I had a craving for olive oil cake the other day. And so I made lemon oh, yeah, I olive saw oil that. cupcakes. Those look so good. Like, why, why can't I have more people close? I can just pawn these off with other people. I can have what the I want. Oh my gosh, the best arrangement I had was I had a good friend across the hall from me in my apartment building when I first came out to DC. And we were both from Minnesota and both baked too much stuff. So I just get knocks on my door handing me cupcakes at random. And it was the best arrangement. And I would do the same to her. I'm like, too many cookies, have <laughs> cupcakes, take them, please. Um, it was bread. amazing. Yeah, zucchini bread. Oh, I cannot make good zucchini bread. It's the one thing my mom makes that I cannot master. I have tried all the techniques I have found and I just, it always ends up burned on the outside and raw in the middle, even when I squeeze out all the juice from the shredded zucchini. Hmm. But that was yeah. gonna be my, my tip is usually people using um, zucchini that's too dry or too wet. Yeah. No, it's just the one thing that escapes me. So I'm, I'm good at baking everything else. Like I can throw down with a lot of different, like I made rosemary bread yesterday that is just absolutely heaven sent. Those, lo those loaves were so perfect. I'm like, I was, I was stunned. I've not done a lot of free, freestanding loaves, like the the round ones. Uh -huh. I usually just use a loaf pan, but this recipe is like, you make two rounds. I'm like, all right. And it's because I am running low on bread and did not want to go out and buy more. So I was like, rosemary bread, here we go. And yeah, it turned out super good. I accidentally overproved it. it. Like it was rising for like four hours instead of two for the first rise. And then another like hour and a half after that. But it just, it's really light and, and very, very finely textured, which I actually appreciate. So it's actually really lovely. Um, yeah. If I overproof, it usually gets hard as a rock because I usually make pretzels rather than bread. Yeah. Oh God. I love making pretzels. Homemade soft pretzels are heaven sent. Yeah. Yeah. That is, I think it's one of the reasons my partner fell in love with me is because I make really killer soft pretzels. 
Yes. That is my love language is soft pretzels. Mm, absolutely. Period. And garlic is the other thing. I cook with garlic a lot and he's very happy. Um, the, the, the lovely and fabulous um, Dawn Aurora uh, at Cochina Aurora has this most beautiful, de delicately flavored, gorgeous garlic infused um, virgin olive oil. Oh, I put it in love that everything, everything. the um, the lemon olive oil cake that I made I used her um, orange and lavender <laughs> I was olive gonna oil. say you put her garlic olive oil in the lemon cupcakes <laughs> doesn't sound great but okay go on <laughs> a, little sweet, a little sweet with my savory no um, yeah <laughs> but I do love using that to make garlic bread with nice oh yeah yeah so my garlic bread thing what I love to I take a sourdough loaf of bread I slice it up. I put butter. Uh, let's see if I remember anything. Butter, garlic salt, a little bit of like chopped fresh garlic, um, and a mixture of shredded Parmesan cheese, Italian seasoning, and paprika. And then bake that. And it's like super, super, super good. Like that's one of my absolute favorite to die for things. And, and also thinly sliced cheddar cheese in there too. Oh, so good so good my fall snack of doom is really thinly sliced um good bread like the rosemary bread mm -hmm. and the minute it comes out of the oven i put apple butter and cheddar on it and with like a pinch of really fine sea salt put it back in the oven nice. to melt just just for a minute yep. and it's the best thing you've ever put in your face I need that in my face. Uh, the thing <laughs> I discovered with my rosemary bread is that it goes really, really well with um, Imperfect Produce has this craft beer cheddar cheese right now Ooh. with that and ham, like deli ham, like beer cheddar and rosemary bread. Mm. Yeah. Now I need ham. Perfect umami. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have to exchange baked goods at some point because it sounds like we both have the skills and yes. are both going to be in awe of each other's skill at the same time. In the back of Blackthorn's Botanical Brews, there's a chapter on what to do with your leftover libations. And mm. one of them is a lavender black pepper cheesecake. Oh my God, that sounds amazing. My favorite thing. The other, th the crowd favorite, I make a cocoa rubbed pork tenderloin. Um, you sear it on both sides with the, with the cocoa powder. Wow. Throw it in the oven with an apple cider reduction. And it just melts in your face. Wow. It's amazing. Related. Do you like mystery novels? Yes. I, okay. Mysteries, cozy mysteries. If it's if there's if there's a whodunit in it, I want to read it. All right. So have you read the Corinna Chapman series by Carrie Greenwood? Because no. they have recipes in them. Yeah. It's yeah, there's a recipe with every book. Um, it's about a woman who is, she was an accountant and decides to say, screw it, corporate America, I'm opening a bakery. And she lives above the bakery in this really fun um, complex that every unit is named for a Roman deity. And the people who live in those units have something in common with that deity. Like there's a woman who does weaving in the Arachne suite and all of that kind of thing. And um, so she lives in the, I think it's the Hestia suite is where she lives. And then she has this bakery and always gets pulled into to these really interesting mysteries. And they're set in modern day Melbourne, Australia. But like, she'll talk about these new muffins that are being developed for the bakery. And you're just like, oh, I want to try that muffin. And then the back of the book, there's the recipe for the muffin. And it's just, so you like that. And they're very funny and they're sexy. And yeah, 
if you highly like recommend the um the china bales series by susan wittig albert is a dear favorite i've been reading them since i was probably 12 she comes out and awesome. she has one a year come out in hardback first at the beginning of each so each book is themed on a on an herb she's an herbalist hmm. she was a lawyer she said fuck it i'm gonna go do this thing she's now an herbalist in a shop half of the shop space is hers and half of the shop space is her best friends who owns a witchy shop so Aww. they have they have mystery solving hijinks and like book three they get invited to a Samhain ritual um, in their little town and it's fantastic the way that she does things the beginning of each chapter is a little snippet about the theme herb of that book and the back is a bunch of recipes they, they started a catering business so there's all these different recipes in the back nice. highly recommend um the Karuna Chapman series there's also a witchy neighbor uh nearby with like a witch shop who gets pulled into the mysteries sometimes and yeah I think and think that's her best friend too so yeah they're really good books I've been reading them for a while I think they they started coming out in the early 2000s I think and I have a friend in Australia who like will send me the new ones when they come out which is really sweet and this is the same author who wrote the Phryne Fisher books if you've yeah. ever seen Miss Fisher's Mysteries oh, okay. um, same same author so if you'd like that the style of those um you'd probably like this other one her writing's very witty and fun and very feminist and sex positive and size positive and all of these wonderful things so beautiful they're good reads okay okay well I will um i will have to catch up with you soon we need we need to actually have some some hangout events heck yeah absolutely <laughs> that, has, that has been like one of the really cool side effects of writing a book that i don't think i fully had my head around before i you know got it published is getting to meet all these amazing people like i i am an extrovert uh who if anything i get overstimulated by being at events so i have mm -hmm. to be very careful how much time i'm out around people because I will become a, a pile of vibration um, from just uh, soaking in all the people. But, um, but yeah, I just, I, you know, interviewing folks on the Four Quick Cues show, which I guess I should plug that too, is a place people can find me is on the facebook.com major arqueerna. Uh, every couple of weeks, I interview someone like the amazing Amy, uh, last week's interview, where uh, I ask them four quick questions about writing, spirituality, whatever, and the questions are chosen by rolling a 20-sided dice. So uh, we call it four quick cues, book talk with Enfys, and yeah. So part of that, though, is I've gotten to meet all these really cool people who I want to hang out with now. So it's kind of bittersweet because it's like, we had such an amazing conversation, and I really like talking to you. And I'm probably not going to see you anytime soon because <laughs> pandemic and everything else. But but yeah, it's, oh, I just, I cherish all the people who I have met through that. It's just some fantastic human beings. So, so glad for that. And so, and thank you so much again for having me here because this is lovely. Absolutely. And I hope everyone enjoyed listening. <laughs> you have a wonderful day and we, will, we, we should definitely hang out soon. Uh, yeah. <laughs> please remember that we are all trees in the forest, nurture each other. Thanks for coming. Bye. For those of you who are new to the podcast, blackthornsbotanicals.com has some great teas, ritual oils, magical candles, and more for the next bit. I know not everyone can get to the podcast right away. I'm going to put up a podcast-only coupon code, code PODCAST, all lowercase, on blackthornsbotanicals.com for 20% off anything you find in the store. Try and... 
help as best I can. And, and apparently Lilu agrees. That's blackthornsbotanicals.com and offer code podcast. All lowercase. Remember, we're all trees in the forest. Nurture each other.